What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? We got Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and special guest Dr. Adam Compellner here, and we're going to talk. We're going to go into the weeds deep on uh, some scientific terms here. So hold with me, and I'm sure you'll learn something. How you doing there, doctor? Good, Rob. How are you? I've never been better, man. Never been better. So what? Uh, I, well, just, I guess just introduce yourself here, kind of give the audience a little bit of a background on, on who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm actually a math professor at Queens College in New York. It's the best job ever. I, I love it here at CUNY. Uh, I got great students and I do cool research. And so the question is um, uh, how I got to be a math professor first. Um, and that's because I went, to, uh, I went to Warden and I got a PhD in applied statistics and I'm trying to work on all sorts of cool data science projects. Um, and that's my background, uh, educationally. So how did you go from statistics to ketogenic dieting? Good, very good question. Um, so I was overweight, and I was going to the gym with some buddies, and they were all doing this low-carb diet, and they were eating jars of peanut butter. And I'm like, that's, that's crazy. I mean, that'll, that'll give you a heart attack. And they're like, no, no, it's all... It's all nonsense. So I started doing it, and I lost about 20 or 30 pounds, and I put on some muscle mass, and I said, this is the real deal. I mean, I've tried other diets before, but this, there's, something, there's really something to this. So I, I hit the books, and I read. I read voraciously. I read hundreds of articles. I read. I started with the popular books, like Good Calories, Bad Calories, and I just started reading scientific papers. Mm-hmm. And after reading, I don't know, a couple hundred of these, I had this, this idea to uh, use the ketogenic diet to create a hypothetical cancer cure. And that's, uh, I guess that's what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to go into the news there. Because, I mean, like, you know, I, I'm approaching ketogenic dieting from a, like a performance athletic standpoint. But I get really excited about the, you know, medical implications and how it's been used to you know, minimize some of the the cancer symptoms. So I'm excited to dive into that for sure. Cool. Um, sure. So there's a bunch of prerequisites before I get to my main idea. Um, so let's just like get into it. Can we uh, approach it from like a hypothetical standpoint? So let's just assume that like I have cancer or something and just go through the, the timeline and kind of how that would break down in like in an individual. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good way to uh, look at it from uh, a good bird's eye view. So my idea is essentially as follows. You go on a, a very strict ketogenic diet, like a more than four to one diet. We'll talk about all these terms later. So you're on more, more than a four to one diet. That means you're eating mostly fat, in fact, limited protein, for sure, no carbohydrates. And your body goes into a starvation mode where your blood sugar comes down and your entire body is no longer using sugar for its fuel. Mm-hmm. Every cell needs fuel, just like every appliance needs electricity, but the cells in the body can actually choose which fuels that they use. And you could actually tell the body which fuels to use based on what you eat, which is an incredible, uh, I mean, how many, how many things can you do to your body that changes every cell in your body? Well, that's what the ketogenic diet does. So after a few weeks of a very strict ketogenic diet, we put you on new drugs that lower your blood sugar even further. And hopefully you lower it to the point where the cancer will be killed. That's essentially the idea. How, how low are we talking? All right. So we got to get into the weeds now. 
Is that okay with you? Oh, absolutely, man. Let's go for it. Okay, so the first subject, I'm gonna get, I have a few subjects here in front of me. Um, there's fuel in the body. There's what cancer is. There's what happens during starvation. There's a ketogenic diet, and then there's the details of the cure. So let's talk about fuel. So every every tissue in the body, every cell needs fuel, and it needs to do stuff. And for that, you need chemicals that fuel it. There's three fuels that the that cells in the body can use. First is glucose, which is essentially comes from uh, carbohydrates, and we'll see uh, other other sources as well. There's free fatty acids or or fat, and there's ketones. Of which, in the ketones, as you, you may all know, there's three ketones. There's acetone, which is not a fuel, so we'll be talking about it. And there's acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, and those two are used as fuel. With beta-hydroxybutyrate being the big one, because that's uh, it's used in like a six-to-one proportion versus acetoacetate. So I'm going to really be talking about glucose, free fatty acids. I'll, I'll just say fat or FFAs, and I'll be talking about beta-hydroxybutyrate. Okay. Cool. So how does the how how do these three fuels? Um, uh, as an aside, the liver can use other things, but we're not talking about the liver. We're talking about the majority of your body, for sure. You know, your brain, your heart, your lungs, your muscles. Right. Um, the, the liver can use other stuff. We're not talking about the liver. So how does your body use these three fuels? The glucose, the the fat, and and the, and the beta hydroxybutyrate. Well, it goes into the cell and then it's burned. Well, how is it burned? So fatty acids go through what's called a, a spiral, where um, it, fatty acids kind of look like a long, long like carbon snake chain, mm-hmm. and two carbons come off uh, at a time. And those two carbons go into the mitochondria, and they're burned through something called oxidative phosphorylation, and it yields a whole bunch of energy. Beta-hydroxybutyrate, same thing. It goes into mitochondria, and it goes into oxidative phosphorylation, and you get a whole bunch of energy. Glucose is a little bit different, so there's there's two steps. The first step is called glycolysis, where that that's done inside inside the cell, but not in the mitochondria. You get two ATP. ATP is this unit of uh, um, it's kind of like the, the energy. It's kind of like dollars. It's it's the it's the currency of energy uh, at a cellular level in your body. Okay. You get you get two ATP in a process called anaerobic glycolysis. You don't need oxygen for that. And the, the byproduct of that is called pyruvate, and that's usually then taken to the mitochondria and done the same thing, the, the same fate as the, the ketones and the fat. It goes through oxidative phosphorylation, and you get a whole bunch of energy. You get around 32 more, depends on how you do the math. Um, so if the glucose stops uh, at anaerobic glycolysis, you only get two, but if it goes all the way through, you get 34. So it's, so it's literally 1,700% more efficient. If it goes all the way through, and that's why they say carbs are kind of a more efficient or used preferentially by the body. Um, that's a really good question. Why are carbs used preferentially by the body? I I have a theory on that, but let, let's like wait until later to for me to discuss the theory. For sure, uh, it's it's a little bit of an extreme theory, but I I've seen it on the internet before. So basically, there's the, there's these three fuels that powers pretty much your whole body. The liver can use other stuff like protein, but forget the liver for now. And these three fuels are burned a little bit differently with ketones and fats burned kind of the same way. And glucose has this like two-step procedure. Gotcha. Cool. So that brings us to cancer. So uh, um, cancer is a, is a scourge. Um, it's, it's, a very, it's a very terrible disease. 
what basically is it? So we wind the clock back to, I think, the 1920s, a guy named Warburg in Germany. And he was doing research on cancer. He's one of, like, the pioneers. And what he found is that if you give cancer glucose, it stops at that first step. So it stops at the anaerobic glycolysis step. So it gets the 2 ATP, and then it kind of dumps its pyruvate. Instead of taking the pyruvate and then burning it all the way and getting another 32, it just stops, even if there's oxygen. I mean, it could stop if there's no oxygen because you need oxygen to, to do that step in the mitochondria, but it just kind of stops there. And that, that won him a Nobel Prize. That was, that was a pretty big discovery because these cells are, 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 are really different. They're aberrant. They're, they're, they've got all these different problems. Mm-hmm. It was found later that the problems are, uh, and this is this is debated now. This is a uh, there's, there's a lot that's debated about how cancer works in the uh, in the literature, but we have um, electron microscopy evidence that in cancer cells the mitochondria are basically busted. So if you look at healthy mitochondria versus cancer mitochondria, the cancer mitochondria don't seem to have the same structure. Is that all that, cancer cells, all types of cancer cells, or is that specific to certain strains of cancer? Yeah, really good question. Um, so it's estimated that the Warburg-type cancers are 90% of cancers. So we're talking about the majority of cancer the majority of the time. But you're right, it's not all cancers all the time, but it is the majority. Gotcha. So what happens in these, in these cancer cells when you don't have mitochondria, then you can't take the, the glucose metabolism to the next step. You stop at 2 ATP. And if you don't have mitochondria, guess what? You can't burn ketones and you can't burn fats. Because if you remember the discussion about the beta-hydroxybutyrate and the fatty acids, they only get burned in oxidative phosphorylation when you need oxygen and working mitochondria for that. Right. So they, so they, they, they just can't be used, period. You can't use ketones and fatty acids. So cancer is, is forced to use just glucose. And it's forced to use glucose with a tremendous handicap at something like 1 17th the efficiency. Or 14, so it yeah. It takes a lot 6% more glucose efficiency. To, to keep cancer alive, basically. Oh, yeah. And this is actually, uh, it uses between 8 and 200 times the glucose in a normal cell, depending on what's going on. 8 and 200x. That's that's tremendously different. In fact, if you look at what PET scans are, which uh, find cancer in the body, they look for this type of glucose consumption. So you're, you, so the, the scan that we have to find Warburg-type cancers are just looking for places that are using tons of glucose because the cancer cells have to because that's the only fuel they got. Mm-hmm. That's when it like brights up. Like I've seen images, you know, where they'll, they'll scan like a you know, brain and see the glioblastoma brain tumor or something and you'll just see it's like all fluorescent yellow from the... The PET scan showing the glucose consumption, right? That is from the glucose consumption. So a very natural idea now is, wait a minute, cancer has this tremendous handicap. It can't use fat. It can't use ketones. It's got to use sugar. Why not just cut the sugar? Right. Right. It's kind of obvious. It's an obvious. It's an obvious handicap. Why not just cut the lifeline? So this is not an original idea. In fact, there's. I found a New York Times article going back to 1887. And it talked about starving cancer. Wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's a really long time ago. 
And then Warburg discovered his stuff in 1924, and we had all this other evidence. So, so what's the problem? Why hasn't someone like done this, right? Right. And that's and that's the subject of uh, the next 30 minutes here. So here's the deal: you cut sugar, um, and you're going to die because your body still needs some sugar. And of course, if you if you just go straight starvation, you'll die before the cancer does. The cancer is pretty resilient. Mm-hmm. So though it seems really obvious, just cut cut the sugar to the cancer. That's really hard if you think about the context of the whole body. Like, right. What do you do? Take all the sugar out of the blood, then you're you know. At, You'll, you'll die as well. So now we really got to go further into the weeds and talk about what glu- what's what really is the role of sugar in the body, and what really is the role of ketones, and what really is the role of fat. And this is all kind of theoretical, and it comes from studies about starvation. Because in starvation, you ca- you can measure really these three things in the body and see what's going on. So that brings us to, I think, 1968, 69, or 1970. So this is when they started um, they started doing starvation studies on people. So they basically got a bunch of people together and said, you're not eating for the next game many months. And these were all overweight people, so it, um, uh, they were able to survive, you know, a couple months without food. <laughs> and um, a guy named Cahill, he was actually a pretty, uh, pretty famous figure. I think he died in the early 2000s. A uh, very creative thinker, very uh, tremendous researcher. So he published a paper uh, called "Starvation in Man," where he started again. He starved people, and he, and he took all sorts of measurements of what was going on. And here's basically what he found. And this is going to lead to um, my idea at the end. So just like bear with me. Um, during the first day, what happens is your body has a, a, a storage of what's called glycogen in the liver. And glycogen is like um, basically sugar bunched together right. and like a structure that, that's stable. So you have some of this in the liver, you have some of this in the muscles. Uh, we're not going to, I'm sure you've had other podcasts discussing uh, muscle glycogen and mm. and using muscle glycogen for, I don't know, let's doing like a, like a heavy squat set, like a three rep squat set because you need the, the, the anaerobic glycolysis there. Absolutely, yeah. Right, but we're going to be talking about... Um, glycogen in the liver, but um, after one day or so, one or two days, it's gone. So your body needs some other way to get sugar. We'll talk about why in a second. So your body starts this process called gluconeogenesis, where it's taking all these different parts and producing glucose. And we'll talk about w- uh, what substrates it uses to produce this glucose. And that's this is all done in the liver. After two or three days, your body starts to do something called ketosis. I'm, I'm sure uh, other podcasts have, uh, have beaten this to death, but uh, I'll give my quick rendition. So ketosis is, uh, occurs when there's uh, glucose starvation to some degree, and your body needs to produce other fuels. So it uses fats to produce these three ketone bodies. Again, the main one is beta-hydroxybutyrate because acetone is, is a kind of a waste product, and acetoacetate. Um, it isn't used as much, in like a, a six to one proportion is beta-hydroxybutyrate. So your, your liver is producing beta-hydroxybutyrate to serve as fuel because there's no more sugar. Right. We'll get to why later. And that, the why is very interesting. So that's after two to three days. What happens, uh, what happens after that? turns out there's a prolonged starvation stage after two weeks. So after two to three days, the ketosis starts, and your, 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 all the cells in your body... St- um, start starts cutting their their sugar habit, 
why is why are they cutting their sugar habit? Because there is no more there's no more glucose. So it starts to switch to go to fats and beta hydroxybutyrate. And that process already is the beginning stage of what's called keto adaptation, mm-hmm. which is which is this this I think total transformation of, of your body's metabolism. Like how how many things really change every cell in your body? Well, the diet really does, or in this case, starvation does. Right. So after two weeks, what happens is your body is still in, in heavy ketosis, but your entire body actually preferentially um, starts to use fat and not the ketones because all the beta-hydroxybutyrate is now saved for the brain, which is very interesting. So now, now we talk about why is, there beta-hydroxy- why is there ketones, why is there glucose, why can't everything just run on fat? So that's what I'm going to switch to next. Okay. And here, here's here's the wrinkle. Um, as I said, every body, every uh, every cell in your body can use three fuels: glucose, ketones, beta hydroxybutyrate, or or fats. That was a little bit of an approximation. Your brain can't use the fats. Why? Because fats come in these huge kind of like globular molecules, which are too big to get across the blood-brain barrier. Now, this is under dispute now, but this is what Cahill found that your brain cannot use fat, or at least really can't use 99.9% of fat. Your brain cannot run on fat because the fat can't get, can't get through into the brain to be used. Right. So your brain then can only use glucose and beta-hydroxybutyrate. Why? Because glucose and beta-hydroxybutyrate are small enough and water-soluble to get into the brain. That's the essential reason why... Uh, I think Kale wrote about this later, that beta-hydroxybutyrate, the whole ketosis, is really made for your brain. So when we talk, start to talk about you know, brain health and uh, neurological diseases, um, this is like a, a nice, uh, I don't know, it's a nice concept when, when, when putting this in perspective because it seems like we really evolved to use ketones as brain fuel. And when we don't, then maybe problems start happening over years and years and years of using the fuel it wasn't designed for. That's that's one of my that's a theory that you could find. And I've uh, I've, out I've there. heard I gotta uh, ask you one here, one quick thing here. Yeah, I, I've read like I think Veach. I was listening to a podcast by Veach, and he said that that humans were the only uh, species to be able to really get fully keto adapted to the extent that we are. And then I've also heard that animals can, yes. to a degree, what, from an evolutionary perspective there, how can you, like, what, what's yeah. the difference? The, the, okay, can I cover that in maybe a few more minutes? Because I want to talk about um, what's going on in the brain of the blood-brain barrier, and then I'll talk about why we're more ketotic than animals. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so just hold me to it, though, if I, if I forget, just, to, <laughs> just, just nudge me. Okay, so after two weeks, your, your, your body's not eating anything, so... so all the fat comes from your fat storage. Um, the fat, the, the, some of the fat is producing beta-hydroxybutyrate, and that's only used in the brain, or almost almost exclusively used in the brain, because the brain cannot use fat because of this this quirk with the blood-brain barrier. Uh, and the question is, um, and the and the body is also producing sugar. So why is it producing sugar if we if if all the cells in your body can use fat? except for the brain, which can use ketones, why do you need glucose at all? That's a good question. So there's two reasons at this point. The first reason is your blood cells don't have mitochondria. They need glucose. So um, they don't really need, they, they they don't really use glucose 
like and combust it all the way down. They they just do the first step and create pyruvate, and the pyruvate then gets bumped back up to glucose in the liver. Your, your liver does everything. It's pretty incredible. So they don't have any net consumption of glucose. So they can just keep recycling glucose all day long, and your liver can bump up the glucose for them using energy derived from fat. So what again? Why do you need glucose? Turns out the brain needs a little bit of glucose. In a in a let's say a, a standard American diet, the brain is consuming about 150 grams of glucose a day, and uh, doctors are taught in medical school that the brain only uses glucose. It's not true. The brain the brain uses beta hydroxybutyrate, ketones, and glucose. And in a prolonged starvation state, it takes that 150 grams and goes down to about 40, 45, something like that. That's what that's what Cahill measured. So why? Well, some of that glucose that's used in the brain is just like the red blood cells. It goes to pyruvate and gets, then gets bumped up. But about 30 grams is used completely and burned all the way down in that oxidative phosphorylation, all the way down to carbon dioxide and water. So it's completely gone. So even in during, even in prolonged starvation past two weeks, your body still needs 30 grams net glucose per day to fuel the brain. Why it needs that, I don't know. Um, I, I tried to find out. I've emailed actually a lot of big people in the field. It's, um, I don't know. But that seems to be um, a bug in the system. Why is it a bug in the system? Because you need that 30 grams. Where does that 30 grams come from? Well, about 10 of them will come from the glycerol inside of fat. So if you look at how fat is structured, it is a, uh, they come in these things called triglycerides, which are three fatty acids connected in the center by a glycerol molecule. And so when the body starts burning fats, it, it starts to disconnect all those fatty acids, and that's left with this glycerol center, which is about 10% by weight, give or take. And that glycerol, it's used to produce glucose in gluconeogenesis. So as much as we like to say, oh, we eat fat and get no sugar, if you eat 10 grams of fat, you actually get one gram of glucose, which is very, very weird. But there's no way around it. Um, glycerol is, is a part of fat, and your body um, in the liver produces glucose out of it. That's, the main subs that's one of the main substrates for gluconeogenesis. Where does the other 20 grams come from? It comes from your muscle. So muscles, uh, muscles are made up of protein. It comes from the protein in the muscle. Proteins are made up of amino acids. And when your body's in dire straits, like uh, during starvation, um, the muscles are told to dump some of their protein. And that protein is used to feed, feed the brain. So from muscle to brain, very strange. And uh, it, it so happens that in, in starvation, Sometimes that if you eat through your muscle protein, this 20 grams a day of muscle protein, you could be dead even if you have tons of fat storage, which is uh, one of the main reasons why starvation is, is dangerous because you could, you could lose that muscle protein and literally eat yourself to death. So um, we've, uh, I think we've covered starvation here. R real quick question on starvation. Um, so the longest recorded... Uh, fast was like 382 days or something like that from an right. obese individual. In in England somewhere, I think. Yeah. 1970s, yeah. Which is mind-blowing in itself. Um, so if if he's not eating that entire duration of 382 days and his he, he's losing muscle and he's losing the body fat because you can't just preferentially have the, the body convert the fat to glucose, it takes the muscle as well? 
here's the deal. Your body cannot, you're, as far as I know, and as far as, I guess, all these biochemistry textbooks that I've been through, your body cannot convert fat into glucose. It's another bug in the system. And why is it a bug? Because you could lose your muscle protein before you lose your fat, before you burn through your fat, and you could die just from that. So yeah, this guy, this this guy for 382 days was burning 20 grams of muscle protein per day, according to Cahill's measurements. Wow. So he probably he lost a lot of fat, but he he lost a ton of muscle too during that time. Yeah, and if he uh, that could have killed him, and he was still overweight at the end. Yeah. Because he was massively overweight, and it was just it was very dangerous because he really could have lost uh, the muscle. Huh. Um, yeah, it's a it's a big glitch in the system that we can't convert the fat to glucose. There, there's no gluconeogenic way. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no method in gluconeogenesis to do that. Interesting. Weird. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Okay, so um, why are we, get to, to get to your question now, why are we more ketotic than animals? So um, the answer is, is pretty cool. So our brains are uh, not only large, but they're extremely metabolically active. I think the brain accounts for about 10% of the body's metabolism. I mean, modulo you and going to the gym for, uh, <laughs> I mean, if you go to the gym and, you know, if you run a marathon, obviously not that day, but on a normal day without a massive amount of exercise, the, the brain is, is consuming a tremendous amount of fuel. And that's because our brains do a lot. They don't only, you know, we have, we have, we have consciousness, we have, uh, uh, advanced thought. I mean, what differs us from animals, um, from a biological perspective, is that that's one of the main differences. Our brains are so much more active. Right. So if you look at a, uh, let's say, a hibernating bear, um, a bear also has a, a, a large mass of a brain, but the brain is not as active. So it doesn't need as many ketones because it's not burning that much fuel. In fact, it can get its glucose from the breakdown of fatty acids, so the breakdown of triglycerides to get the glycerol. The glycerol gets converted into glucose, and that's enough glucose to power the brain, without doing, without getting, uh, without producing so much beta hydroxybutyrate, because it just doesn't need that much fuel. It gets from the glycerol. We, on the other hand, if we were just to rely on glycerol, our brains would shut off and we'd die. We need, because our brains are so demanding of fuel. We need the beta hydroxybutyrate, which which is the reason we get way more ketotic. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah, our brains are just that much more active. You could look up like our uh, what is the ketosis levels in uh, um, two point five to ten in stage. Oh, in, in, uh, our our, our uh, beta hydroxybutyrate is two point five up to ten millimoles per liter. What is and like an animal has, measure? Like if they if they like pricked a Hibernating no, they, ha- they, no they, they all this stuff has been done. I mean, it, it's it's much lower. It's not zero. Like for instance, if, if we eat a standard American diet, if like I don't know if I eat like I don't know a burger and fries, so I got the bread and I got the potatoes, and I and I keep eating this for I don't know a couple days, my my beta hydroxybutyrate will literally be zero or mm-hmm. 0.01 or something like totally negligible. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's the reason why. Um, we're more ketotic than animals. That makes sense, yeah. All right. Um, so it also explains why during uh, starvation, the the glucose level in the blood, the uh, glycemic level in the blood, does not go to zero. 
In fact, it's actually pretty normal. So your body's really good at keeping that blood glucose level normal even when you're not eating food. Why? Because the brain needs it and the, the, uh, the blood cells need it. So starvation alone is not going to kill a cancer. Why? Because your body's really good. Your body has a, is a really good regulator of that um, blood glucose level, the serum glucose level, between 65 and 80 milligrams per deciliter. So um, that's not going to kill the cancer. So that, that's one thing to keep in mind. Now let's, uh, let's talk about the ketogenic diet for a bit. So we, we just covered uh, starvation and what happens during starvation. So what is a ketogenic diet? And how, do, how is that related to starvation and related to this, this whole picture? Well, we're going to wind the clock back again to, I think, the 1920s. There's a guy named uh, Wilder, Dr. Wilder. And he was treating, uh, I'm sure you've heard this story before. It's the inception of the ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was treating um, childhood epilepsy, intractable epilepsy. And he found when, when his, his children didn't eat at all, i.e. starved, there was no more seizures. So he's like, this is cool. This, is, this seems like a good treatment, right? Unfortunately, you, you, can't, you can't not eat forever, right? Because you'll die. So we need a way to mimic the effects of starvation while still eating. And this is how he invented the ketogenic diet. And it turns out if you eat a very, very high-fat diet with, with uh, very low carbohydrates and, and moderately low protein, you can mimic what's going on during starvation. It turns out your, your, your body can't really tell the difference between fat that comes from your fat storage in your fat cells with dietary fat. So if you eat a stick of butter, your body would see that as, oh, it's just more fat in, in, in the blood. It could have it easily just come from the fat cells. Mm -hmm. So if you just eat fat, um, your body goes into start into this starvation mode, and that's how he was able to get the success in his uh, in his patients, because they went on this this, this strict diet called the four to one ketogenic diet. I'll talk about what the four to one is in a second, which mimics starvation, and during starvation the seizures kind of magically stopped. Gotcha, and and that, that's that... where it came nineteen twenties. It's about a hundred years old. Is there any degree of you know protein and carb consumption that would throw that off? It has to be just 100% fat or would like 10 yeah, grams so that, of protein? Right. That's where the 4 to 1 comes in. So his, um, his original diet was called 4 to 1, which means that um, the calories that, that your body consumes is in a 4 to 1 proportion of fats to other. Okay. So... And that's also accounting for the glycerol inside the triglycerides. So if you do the math, the, uh, it turns out you need 90% fat because 10% of fat is glucose. So 90%, 10% 90% is 9%. 90% minus 9 is 81. 81 to 19 is about 4 to 1. That was his original diet. So you need to eat, <laughs> you know, looking at the nutrition facts on foods, 90% of your calories has to come from fat. And because your body does need protein, that there's protein turnover, not if your body, I mean, bodybuilders aside, or um, exercise, uh, exercise aside, your body does turn over protein. So you, so you need to basically fill that other 9% up with mostly protein. And that leaves very little room in Wilder's original diet 
for carbohydrates. And these these children with epilepsy, at such minimal amounts of protein, they were still, you know, growing, uh, you know, going through puberty when I'm actually getting larger, building muscle and stuff, despite the very yeah. So I mean, I mean look, let's say fifteen hundred calories. That's one hundred and fifty calories from non-fats. Yeah, you could fit a lot of protein in there. That's uh, more than the. Uh, um, you're not going to be a bodybuilder, but um, you you could you could fit you could fit some protein in there for sure. Gotcha. And there are people who've been on the, the KD for for decades without uh, ill effects. You see a lot of um, uh, maybe in the media they were saying you know this high fat diet will kill you. It, it can't be like there's accounts of uh, epileptics who've been on the KD for for a very very long time with uh, no side effects. Hmm. It's, interesting. It's, it's very interesting to talk about like protein levels because, you know, you're always told you need more protein. And like I've, I've kept my protein pretty low, especially by bodybuilding standards with, with no negative effects. So it, it's always cool to, you know, hear others doing the same. Yeah. Um, again, the, the KD was invented in the 1920s and then it went out of favor because they started inventing these uh, epilepsy, epi- epilepsy drugs. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people took the drugs and went back on the regular diet. And there's all there's been a stalwart few uh, throughout the years who the drugs didn't work for, who um, stayed on the diet. But that's like it it it, it was born in a, in a therapeutic uh, setting for epilepsy, and now it, it seems to you know it, it has like there's it's a huge following. There's a huge rage about the KD, but it was really invented for. Uh, <laughs> Really, it's historically very interesting. It was invented for epilepsy. Right. Um, so yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, let's close the loop on the uh, on the idea now. Um, so let's getting back to cancer. So if the keto, if the ketogenic diet can, this very strict ketogenic diet can mimic the effects of starvation, then probably what you'll see is after two weeks on this very strict ketogenic diet, you're going to see the same numbers as Cahill measured in 1970 about starvation. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big if, um, I think it would be true. Um, but I, uh, we're not, we're not sure when we have to test it, in which case, um, you'll see the body completely switch to fats. The whole body's running on fat, except for the brain. The brain is running on mostly ketones and about 30 grams of sugar a day. So that's the setting that we're in now. And that takes about a couple, you said two, three weeks, two, three weeks. Okay. Two three weeks to get let's say fully keto adapted, and and that's a, a, a vocabulary that came later. So gotcha. two to three weeks on, on a four to one KD or even stricter will get you fully keto adapted. And what can you expect your your blood glucose to be at that point? The problem is it's normal. That's actually a problem for the idea. It's between sixty five and eighty milligrams per deciliter, and that is not enough to kill the cancer. Um, although there there are some studies that suggest that you know. Calorie, calorie, uh, um, calorie restriction does can treat cancer, but I'm a little bit more extreme than that. I want the cancer to to die, <laughs> right. to die instantly. Right? That's what we want. Um, how do you do that now? So that brings us to 1972, when they started doing studies on in, in starvation about what uh, um, what kinds of levels of, of blood sugar. Um, can be tolerated. Now, uh, just to give you an idea, my, my mom's actually a diabetic nutritionist, and um, having a normal blood sugar is really important. Why? Because if it dips below a certain point and your brain needs it, 
your brain can literally, quite literally shut off, and that could kill you. So you, there's been, you know, coma cases of, uh, of in the 40s. If your blood sugar goes to, you know, 40 milligrams per deciliter, that, that could bring you to a coma. It's very dangerous. It's, uh, low blood sugar is very dangerous. Uh, that's why uh, diabetics have to keep along, like, you know, orange juice or snacks or stuff to get that blood sugar back up. So lowering blood sugar is, is, is in a normal person, is very risky because your, your, your brain needs it, and it needs it, you know, it, it has a few seconds of storage. And that's, it. so someone was eating the standard American diet, you know, carbohydrate-based diet, Correct. And, and their, 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 their brain is not really adapted per se to using ketones. So like if, if they're eating a normal diet and their, their blood sugar drops that low, that's when they run the risk of it shutting off. But if you're keto adapted and your brain has, you know, adapted to using the beta hydroxybutyrate, then you don't have to be as concerned with it dipping that low? Yeah, and this is what these guys in uh, Drenick, Drenick and others in 1972 found. So as you said, if you're on the standard American diet, your brain is using about 150 grams of sugar a day. That's a whole lot per minute. It's a lot. And if it doesn't get that, keep in mind, there's, there's no ketones at all in the blood. Like it takes a while for your liver to start to like produce ketones and get the signals and start getting it out there. It, it can't be done at the drop of a hat. Right. So if, you're, if your blood sugar dips, it's not the liver will be instantly, you know, uh, produce beta hydroxybutyrate to fit the bill. It's not going to happen. You're going to die before that. Right. So, um, but after two weeks or two or three weeks of keto adaptation, your brain isn't using 150 grams per day, as Cahill found out. It's using um, about 40, 30 to 40. And the rest of it is going to be ketones. So it makes sense then that it's only using 30 to 40. That's a whole lot less per second than 150. And that's exactly what uh, these, these, these guys in Los Angeles uh, in 1972 found. Is uh, They were doing a very risky experiment, which you could never get permission to do today. They were injecting insulin directly into, uh, into the bloodstream. Now, uh, just a note about insulin. Um, insulin is, is, uh, is produced when your blood sugar goes too high. It's kind of like a, um, it's kind of like an alert system, or like a, I like to think of it as a, uh, uh, those sprinklers on top of the ceiling. When there's fire, it starts sprinkling and it shuts out the fire. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's literally that extreme, because high blood sugar is, uh, is toxic. If the, blood, if the blood sugar gets too high, you get a very thick, syrupy kind of blood sugar, uh, th thick, syrupy blood, um, and it's, uh, it can, that, that can also be very detrimental. Um, high blood sugar for a very long time you know, causes blindness, all sorts of bad stuff. So insulin's job is to say, hey, blood sh hey sugar in the blood, get out of here, and go, go inside the cells, usually the muscle cells. And that, that's, that, that's a mechanism to bring the blood sugar back down to a normal level. And, and what milligram per deciliter would that be in... in no, normal? Yeah, like if, if what would normal at what point does insulin need to get involved to regulate the blood sugar that's down? good question. Um, you know, my mom would be able to give this to you in a second. Um, so normal is like 80 to 95, let's say. Maybe that's even too high. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's, that's a good question for... Um, someone who knows more about about insulin, it's insulin's like sort of tangential to the uh, the idea at hand here. But um, uh, what what the, so what it does is it's it basically sends a signal to say get out of the blood right now. Right. And if if you inject too much insulin, 
and too much sugar gets out of the blood. So if you take a normal, um, let's say standard American diet guy who's, who's not fasting and there's no ketones and you inject insulin, you, you could kill him. Because the blood sugar, it depends on how much you inject, right? The mm -hmm. blood sugar can go all the way down and the brain will shut off. We'll go into coma or all sorts of shock or, or all sorts of bad stuff. So this is a very risky experiment. Yeah. You don't, like you, don't, you don't go injecting something into blood that can kill you. Right. But uh, I guess they had, if they took the necessary precautions and they had uh, glucose standing by and a whole team of people, um, and they did it. And what they found kind of shocked everyone. Because once again, a coma can happen in the 40s. They got sugar down to nine, nine milligrams per deciliter, and the people were still pretty conscious. They were still... Uh, still answering questions and they didn't think anything was wrong with them um which was shocking yeah it's insane because, uh, it's insane yeah it's it's if you ask any practicing doctor who deals with diabetes about a blood sugar of nine milligrams per deciliter he wouldn't know what to say to you he would say that that's impossible unless he's unless he's seen these uh, studies of course so if you get the blood sugar down to nine and you're still okay, what's the reason for it? Obviously that the brain is still getting the, the small amount of sugar it needs and the, most of its um, energy is being provided by beta-hydroxybutyrate because these people are heavily keto adapted. They did it after 45 to 60 days. I don't know why they waited that long, but that's what the study, that's what they did. And how long did they maintain that low level? I don't know. You'd have to... Get, I'd have to go back to the study and read it. Um, uh, it's a very good question. The question is how long can you maintain it? Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you get there um, without using something as dangerous as insulin? So uh, that, that brings us to our idea. Again, uh, if you rewind the tape and talk about cancer again, cancer must use glucose because it's got busted mitochondria and can't use fats or beta-hydroxybutyrate. And it's, it's, it's consuming 8 to 200 times the amount of glucose as a normal cell. And the idea is you cut the glucose and the cancer dies. Now we're finally at, at the level where we can talk about a, a healthy way to cut it without killing the rest of the body. You keto adapt to uh, prolonged starvation where your brain is running on um, beta-hydroxybutyrate and a little bit of sugar and your body completely is running on fat. And the only thing running on uh, glucose now is, is those cancer cells. You, you can lower the sugar all the way down using uh, brand new drugs, actually, which is why this is pretty new. There's, there's drugs that um, interrupt our, our pure gluconeogenesis inhibitors in the liver. You can just dial down the gluconeogenesis down to the point where you could, um, you could have whatever uh, serum glucose um, you, you wish, it seems. I mean, again, we have to test this, but um, the, uh, the, stu the studies look pretty good about uh, these drugs. And you dial it all the way down to a point where the person is still kicking, still conscious, and you keep it there. Let's say you keep it at 10 milligrams per deciliter for days. If it works and you're still eating that, that ketogenic diet, um, it seems reasonable that cancer will not have enough fuel to survive. And it'll have to either die or go dormant or, or, or become weak and allow uh, other treatments to attack it. There's all sorts of interesting things that could go on at this stage. That's essentially the uh, the whole idea, and I published it um, a couple of years ago now. So the the whole premise basically, like if I if I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, Warburg type cancer, I would want to 
first get keto adapted, remove any you know carbohydrate intake, and then after two or three weeks of doing that, so my body's running on beta hydroxybutyrate and fats. I take these gluconeogenic <coughs> sparing drugs, which basically have my body yeah inhibitors. Uh, to basically which will tell your liver down. to basically it will tell your liver to calm down in its glucose production. And there's no that'll bring your blood sugar down. It doesn't seem like it, because um, again, the only thing I mean, this is the theory, right? According to according to Cahill's numbers, the only thing the, the only tissues in the body that are using glucose at all are the brain, the blood cells, and the cancer. So if you could dial it down to a point where your your brain's happy and your blood cells are happy. Which I don't think will happen for that. I think the brain's a limiting factor, right? And uh, then the cancer cell, the cancer has, has a limit to how much it could extract from the blood, and it, it can't keep up. It's 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 uh, it's 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 what's it called? When when you binge, you can't it can't keep up its binge diet on sugar. If there's no sugar, there's a limit to how much you could binge. So the question is, is if that binging um, will go down. If you're actually starving it. In petri dishes, it works. They cut the sugar, the cancer dies. Even the presence of fats and beta-hydroxybutyrate, they die in a petri dish. Will that happen in the body? It's it's worth a shot. It really is worth a shot based on um, all this evidence that we have and the, the safety of the ketogenic diet and the safety of starvation. Um, I'd say it's worth a shot. And um, and that's essentially the uh, the idea. And, and what, what stage... Um... In, in like production are these you know gluconeogenic inhibitors like are they they're out they're out they're, i believe they're out yeah that's what the studies say I, I mean the drug names are if there's anyone interested um oh what's the name of these drugs they're called cs917 and mb07803 they don't even have names are, are they like a oral drug are you injected or that I, that i don't know they could probably be done in Many, uh, they might be able to done both ways. I don't know. That seems like a much better bet than, you know, exhaustive rounds of, you know, chemotherapy radiation. or radiation or something. It's definitely worth a shot. I mean, God forbid if this ever happened to, I don't know, one of us, like I, I, I'd be, you know, <laughs> doing this in a second. Yeah. Finding a doctor who was willing to work with me. Yeah. I'm assuming, I mean, what, what, uh, like these drugs, are they used for this currently, or do they have like a a, a secondary role no. or another? Oh role? well, yeah. So they I mean they were invented, I believe, um, as alternatives for the metformin type drugs. So, uh, so diabetics um, get their blood sugar down, I, I guess, in uh, many different ways. One of the ways to do it is uh, through metformin, which which is a which to some degree is a gluconeogenesis inhibitor. Uh, it also does other things, and these drugs are pure ne- ne- gluconeogenesis inhibitors. So why would you want to play around um, with doing other things to the body when you know you're just shutting off this one thing? And that seems to be what they're designed to do. They they, uh, they interrupt uh, one reaction um, in gluconeogenesis that doesn't seem to be a reaction anywhere else in the, in the, in the body. It's very interesting. I mean, glu- gluconeogenic, uh, I mean, people... On keto, they're, they're afraid, you know, of eating too much protein for the very reason of, you know, gluconeogenesis and kind of inefficiently converting that into, you know, glucose. You could almost, you know, eat more steak on keto and have one of these drugs and not have to worry about it in theory, right? That is a very good – okay. So protein metabolism is probably the uh, 
a topic of like an entire other podcast. It turns out, um, I'm not sure. I certainly don't understand it as well as an expert. I'm not even sure the experts fully understand what goes on when you eat protein. Again, there's many different types. There's many amino acids, and some are gluconeogenic and some are not. Right. There's some amino acids. So if you eat steak, you're going to get amino acids that are not gluconeogenic, and those cannot be converted to glucose. Um, so that's that's one wrinkle. The other wrinkle is what regulates gluconeogenesis, like what what regulates amino acids in the blood. It, it's it's a I don't know too much about it, but I know that it is, is very complicated. I'm not sure it's simple. It's not as simple as you eat too much protein and your blood sugar goes up. Right. And that may happen here and there, um, but it doesn't seem to be that that, that must happen. Just like it, carbs are very simple. You eat carbs and immediately your blood sugar goes up. Right. Uh, modulo, modulo fructose. Fructose is another, another type. It's another type of war, another type of poison. You eat fructose, that goes to the liver, and that gets converted to really bad fats. But usually when you're eating uh, carbs, you're getting a lot of glucose. That gets dumped directly into the blood. Right. And, and immediately the insulin has to come out. M modulo, if you have space for it in your glycogen, if, you're, if your liver is empty and your muscles are empty, you don't need insulin because it's going to go in already. Um, um, this, 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 this is all very, very interesting. Um, I got yeah, fuels are different. Like a calorie is not a calorie. Oh, yeah, like for these sure. Three, these three fuels are so different, and it's it's so heterogeneous and, and what's going on in your body. and Like the whole calorie-calorie thing, a calorie is a calorie thing. It's just like total bunk. When yeah. you start to really study this and see how the body works and, and these things are digested differently, it's it's so fascinating. So like, like fasting, intermittent fasting, uh, that's like really hot right now as well. A lot of people do that for the therapeutic you know, benefits. But from a, a cancer perspective, you know, if you're fasting, you go on an extended fast, but your blood glucose is still staying above, you know, 70 milligrams per deciliter, you're not really doing anything to ward off I, cancer. You know, Rob, I wouldn't say you're not doing anything, right? Um, you may be doing something, but I just feel like you can do a whole lot better. There are, there are studies that show restricted calorie diet, which is going to lower the blood sugar, does have uh, beneficial effects. You can find these studies. I'm just saying, why stop there? Yeah. You, if you have all this evidence, you know, dating back to the 1970s about how our body works, why would you want to just go on a low-calorie diet when you could do, you know, a strict KD, and then you could play these games with the blood sugar to even to, to you know give it a double whammy to the cancer? Yeah, that so makes it's sense. not it's just not satisfying to me. I wouldn't say you're doing nothing though. I mean. Let's say if your blood sugar is at seventy on the on the KD or with intermittent fasting for many it's weeks, better than one forty, right? <laughs> it's, better, it's better than a, being on a high carb diet where you're literally feeding the cancer and say, "Hey, get bigger. Here's you could binge all you want." I mean, that's destructive, right? So right. get it just to get it back down to normal is probably good, but I'm saying let's do better. Let's do a whole lot better and see what happens. Um. So what? Um, I mean, this this probably isn't. You know, it's in standard of care practice by any means yet. So, what what needs to happen for you know medical try. professionals to kind of look more towards this than just radiation alone? Oh, I've been on the phone. Um, one, once this article came out, I, I called a lot of big people in the area because they were they were they said, "Oh, it's a cool idea." You know, we chat on the phone. I asked them the same question, and they all said. This will never happen. That's what they said. I'm like, why? He's like, you'll never get a clinical trial. You would need, you know, 
some clinical trial in a foreign country to show that this works, and um, you're you're up against you're up against a, a, a very big culture of uh, radiation and, and chemotherapy, and it's 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 a long road up. And I said, look, you know, my my main career is a is to be a, a good college professor, um, fighting this battle against the entire country medical establishment is not on my. <laughs> I don't think it's in the cards, <laughs> right, Rob? Yeah, well, Adam, if I if I if I get diagnosed with cancer, I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> I'm coming to you, and we're gonna use my body as a guinea pig. Oh gosh, um, I hope we never have to do that, Rob. But uh, <laughs> I'll probably <laughs> I'll probably take the phone call. Very good. Um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think my responsibility is uh, this is how I guess academics um, we have we have good ideas, uh, we publish them and let the world know about them. Um, but I, I, I don't know if I can go further. Um, it's out there. It's pretty much public knowledge. It's uh, you can get the article for free on Archive. Um, it's published in a legit journal called Medical Hypotheses. And um, so, yeah, where do published. I go if I want to read read your article specifically? Is it like a website I go to? Yeah, I could send you a link. Um, I'll send you a link to the free version. Um, the the one that's published, you'll have to pay for. Um, it's not it's not a different article. Yeah, I'll read that for sure. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. And then, just out of curiosity, um, I'm all about doing like self-experimentation. Danny Vega and I are doing one right now for three months. What would happen, based off your knowledge of like fasting and becoming fat adapted versus keto adapted? What happens if I just eat pure fat and do basically like a fat fast for a month? I mean, what is that going to be advantageous at all, or is that going to be detrimental? Um. So I mean, that would be equivalent to pure starvation. Because if you're just eating fat, that would be equivalent to pure starvation, in which case you would start to eat away at your protein, 20 grams a day, after the two weeks or after. Yeah, you will get protein loss. If I was to consume the 20 say. grams of protein a day to kind of equalize that. would that. likely offset it. That's a very good question. Huh. That would likely offset it. Uh, I'm not sure that's been done before. I like doing things um, but, that haven't been done before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just going, I mean, I read Kale's article like a hundred times just to make sure I memorized his numbers. So I'm really, I'm going off that. But there's so many other studies that could be done and probably studies I don't know about. Uh, it's There's all sorts of permutations like 20 grams of protein and what about 5 grams of sugar and what if you do caffeine or no. Like there's, there's a million different things that you can do with this. So again, I could just base my answers, my educated guesses on what would happen. That's interesting. I'll have to... It might be the next experiment, 20 grams of protein a day and see, check ketones right. and glucose throughout and see if I lose any strength. Yeah, that's a, I'd be happy to crunch those numbers for you. Yeah, um, I'm curious. So, yeah, interesting, like, if you look at the intermittent fasting protocols, like, they do allow you to eat, uh, you, know, you know, coffee with butter or, like, some coconut oil and a spoon. And I think the reason for that is, like, your, your body will stay in this sort of fasting mode uh, until the second you give it protein and carbs, and then it switches back. Yeah. So that I see a lot of people what, doing yeah, like water fasts, and with that, that just seems dangerous to me because you're gonna have an electrolyte imbalance. Like that, that's a lot more risky as opposed to just like a fat fast. Um, for a day. I mean, if you're doing this, your water fast for three months. Um, yeah, you, you've got the all the problems of starvation. Right. But, um, yeah. I'm going to dive into this for sure. Um, 
Well, I also want to talk a little bit about uh, you've recently started, or I don't know when you officially launched it, but uh, you've got a kind of a, a beverage coming out as well, don't you? Yeah. Um, so again, I'm, 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 I'm doing the KD and I've been reading the papers and I published this paper, but um, I'm a practical person and I need to eat all day, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's the, the, K, the KD is a great diet, but it's not the most convenient diet. You can't just walk into a, a drugstore and get a Snickers bar because that'll blow, that'll blow your, uh, your limits right there. So what, what convenience food, what can we eat that's very convenient that we just throw in our bag and either drink it or just quickly eat it and it won't spoil. So it needs to be shelf stable, can't spoil, and needs to have um, the, all the, uh, the, the macronutrient profiles, the, the, mac, the, the, the 4 to 1 KD that, um, that I've been talking about. So we decided to make a beverage and we wanted it to be vegan because um, there's this whole idea that, that sodium castanate, which is the, uh, the protein inside milk, uh, it isn't the best for you. It's inflammatory, and a lot of people are allergic to it. So we wanted to broaden uh, who this could appeal to by making it vegan. So the question is, what do you put in it? So what's healthy? So it turns out fats are healthy, but not all fats. So this brings up the next discussion, which fats are healthy. Turns out the polyunsaturated fats are not healthy. They ca- they cause um, oxidative. They can be oxidized. You need mm-hmm. free radicals. So so you don't want to put in polyunsaturated, what we shall call PUFAs. So you need you need a fat that doesn't have PUFAs or has very little. So we chose um, high oleic sunflower oil. This is uh, sunflowers that have been have been bred generation after generation to produce high um, called oleic, which is monounsaturated fat. And the industry really likes this because because vegetable oils go rancid because of the polyunsaturates, and they um, they want to be more shelf stable, and they want to be able to um, cook at higher temperatures without breaking down. So the industry, even the fast food industry, loves this to make you know French fries and fried foods. So they they want to make there's a push now to make um, lots of oils high oleic. I think they just came out with high oleic sun uh, soybean oil, but high oleic sunflower oil is very special. It's pretty much all monounsaturated, very little polyunsaturates, and it's got all sorts of nice micronutrients because the sunflower is healthy. So we got the sunflower oil in there. Of course, we got the coconut oil because we want the MCTs, which are immediately uh, which immediately go to the liver, and, and the body produces beta-hydroxybutyrate out of them immediately, even if you're not in ketosis, by the way. So if you want to get some ketones in the blood while keeping your standard American diet, you can just spoon down uh, coconut oil or take uh, MCT oil. And that's like kind of this like back door where you can just get the ketones like immediately. Right. Uh, so we got a bunch of that in there. We would have liked to use MCT oil. It's very expensive, and you got you got to think about these things when you make a drink. Um, we do use a very small amount of sugar. We're, we're well within the uh, we're actually five to one ketogenic. Um, we needed that because for shelf stability, um, it has to be acidic so bacteria doesn't grow. So we needed to have a flavor that's tolerable. So we have very little sugar, but we're at we're we're at the five to one ketogenic, so it's very ketogenic. We've got eight grams of MCTs. It's vegan. It's got two and a half grams of polyunsaturates. It's three hundred fifty calories. So I'm telling you, you drink this thing, and you are full. Like I drink this for breakfast, I'm I'm full like the whole day. It's incredible. Um, we're certified kosher. We're certified vegan, and we also have prebiotics in there. Um, we've got um, Arabic gum, which is 
very healthy for your digestive system. And then we've got all sorts of other goodies. We've got turmeric, the, the curcumin, which is uh, highly anti-inflammatory. We've got red palm oil, which has tons of vitamin E. We've got a nice amount of magnesium, iodine, vitamin C, and D um, in the right proportion. So I think it's designed very well. And it tastes pretty good. And it's got nice flavor. It's, uh, it's kind of this like tropical kind of flavor. I'm about to put you on the spot here, Adam. I yeah, have yeah. one in my hand right now. I just Wait. got my sample in the mail. And I'm oh, no popping way. the top on it for the first time. Shake it first. Okay, shit, let me shake it real good here. I, it's not refrigerated though, so it's room temperature. Room temperature. We're gonna try the whole shelf stable. shelf stable aspect of it right At here. At least for a year. At least for a year. All right, here we go. At least here's for a year, possibly the, first, the whole life. Here's the first one. Right, go for it, Rob. It's actually surprisingly good. Rock on. It's not like uh, I like. It's just super smooth. Like it's not. Um, like the tropical flavor is there, but it's not like hit you in the face, like yep. too tropical, you know? I like it a lot. If you down the whole bottle, you're going to be full. I'm gonna but you, but you, you, you like self-experimenting, so why don't, you, uh, <laughs> why don't you give it a whirl? I'm going to down the whole bottle for sure. Oh, it's going to be good. Right now. I skipped my fat bomb today because I knew I had uh, this right now. Oh, there's a fat bomb. You got 37 grams of fat, which you get down in like seconds. Yeah. And that's 20 grams of monounsaturates and 14 grams of saturates, which are pretty much all MCTs. And how long has this been in the making? It's been in the making quite some time. There's uh, There's been a lot of, um, we went through many rounds of flavors, and um, we need special equipment to produce it. Um, but we're going to be mass producing it very shortly. Um, hopefully by the holidays we'll have, uh, we'll have it up there on Amazon. So can, is it available to the public now? Like, Can they go to your website directly? You, yeah, you can pre-order it from pumashake.com. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, because I'm, 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 you know, looking for shelf-stable keto stuff. Because like you said, it's it's hard to... It's very hard, yeah. yeah it's it's, it's easy to, to eat keto, but it's hard to eat keto Probably from like bad. a, you know, just grab-and-go perspective. Yeah. If you have a kitchen and you go to the grocery store, it's great. You know, you cook that fish and butter with the asparagus and you have a nice meal, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're on the go and you're on the road, the hell do you do? It's yeah, exactly. Hard. Even if you're eating nuts, right? You're yeah, I mean, eating, you're going to have a lot of, you know, trace you have carbs. A lot of protein. You have a lot of protein and trace carbs. So you, you want something that's that's very designed for the diet, and I think this is, uh, I, think, I think the world's ready for this. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm about to take this conversation, uh, if you have an extra minute here. Yeah, yeah you can go, sure. You can get a little selfish with it, because I'm, I'm in the process of, of uh, making my own food product, basically. I'd yeah, love tell me about your food. So, so basically, uh, my audience has seen it, seen it on my YouTube channel, but it's, it's called the Keto Brick, and it's basically a shelf-stable meal replacement bar. It's 1,000 calories per brick. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you eat that, and, and you're good to go for a while. And it's it's got, uh, like, 82% fat ratio, so the ketogenic ratios are perfect. It's only got four net carbs. Yeah, it's probably about three to one. You're probably, yeah. yeah, you're probably about three to one, which is still really good. Yeah, it's uh, and it, I don't know, like you have a lot of. Fat What's bombs. the carbs in it? Uh, total carbs are like fifteen, and net carbs are like four. Okay, so you have uh, the sugar alcohols in there. No, there's there's no artificial sweeteners at all, actually. Okay. Um, so I, I'm trying to you know figure. It's kind of expensive to produce, you know, so I got to find a price point that makes sense. So yeah. So what else it. you got in it? What's your proteins? What's your fat? I mean, uh, without. Don't tell me anything that you know is not public knowledge. It's about uh, thirty grams of protein and ninety grams of fat. Uh, 
are they from animals or milk or like what where does it is it no, mostly there's, the- there's no dairy no animal products shelf stable no refrigeration no cooking uh, very interesting no allergens so i think uh i think i think i'm onto something um I don't think very many other companies have been able to, to offer something like that that's shelf stable. I mean, basically the same concept as your shake. You know, you just grab it, throw it in your bag, and appeal to you know people that are outside camping, hunting, or just busy. Um, no need to right. Cook. I actually got calls from uh, mothers who have you know kids on the on the KD, mm-hmm. and they want to you know stock their hurricane bunker with shelf stable ketogenic stuff. Yeah, and that, that's smart, like, you know? It, yeah, it's really smart. Like, I never thought of that. But, like, yeah, we need shelf-stable products for sure. So what – we're about to take this to – we've talked mathematician. We've talked science. We've talked uh, medical. We're about to talk some business here. What uh, – I mean, what what are some, some pointers? Like, if I if you're mentoring me here on the whole food product business, like, what, what do I need to know? What are, what are some of the pitfalls I can avoid that, right. that you've so learned? Right, so I – yeah, I, I could definitely give you my thoughts. Again, a beverage and foods are very different. Um, I actually have a buddy who you want to talk to. He's making a keto cereal. Oh, very uh, nice. Which I give him a shout out. Uh, Google it real quick. No, I'm not going to Google it real quick. Um, so he, you, you would definitely want to talk to him. He's in the process of um, selling it online and uh, making it, it, of course, it's shelf-stable. And he's able to actually make it in his kitchen. That's not going to work for me and you, I don't think. Because I think baked goods are allowed to be made in kitchens and sold. It's like a hack in like the regulations, let's say. Yeah. So you're a... gonna have to find yourself a co-packer. Okay. Um, so what we did is we called a whole bunch of co-packers and found one that works for us, uh, based on price and technology, etc. Um, so it, it's a project. Um, I would definitely team up with someone. It's probably too much work for one person to go at it alone. Um, you start calling co-packers and you talk about, you sign an NDA, make sure you do that, otherwise they can steal it. Um, and you talk about what your product is and hopefully they can produce it. And then you see what your ingredients cost. Um, ingredients are pretty interesting. Like, uh, if you buy them in wholesale, the price really tumbles. You can get them for half the price, a quarter of the price if you're buying in volume. Yeah. Uh, so keep that in mind. What uh, like where where do you go to find these co-packers and where do you go to find these uh, wholesalers? I mean, do you does it, some co-packers they have their own list of wholesalers and they'll do it all in-house? Are you going through two separate entities, one for co-packing, one for wholesaling? Um, we're just doing the co-packing now, and we decided to uh, go on Amazon for retailing. Okay. Um, that that's that's our first go. I mean, that's our uh, what we're gonna do for now. Um. But yeah, you gotta just Google and find and just talk to co-packers and see. Uh, and they'll, they'll package they'll like package it with your branding and everything, right? Yeah, of course. Perfect. Yeah. I'm, yeah, you print the label. We printed a whole bunch of labels. I can give you ideas about labels and art. We have an artist who made the label. And, I like y'all's label. Where'd the inspiration for the bear come from? Um, you'll have to ask my sister. Okay. Yeah, the uh, kuma means bear in Japanese. That's where the branding comes from. Very cool. I like it. I like it. Um, well, sweet. I've got my to-do list for finding a co-packer, so I'll make that on my priority. But if we can, you know, both you and I get these products to market, that's what's exciting about keto being so, you know, on fire no. right now. There's so many. It's on fire. Yeah, so many companies. When you see companies start to come in and, like, make products and put money into it, you know it's it's a viable thing because they're willing to invest in it. And I'm excited to see quality stuff come out that makes it more accessible to the masses 
Right, and and what we see also is like you know about these keto crate companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they they send you like a like a subscription service with a package, and they give you like all sorts of keto goodies. And the idea is that you just pay them, and they give you like a whole bunch of stuff that's like certified keto. Let's say you see a lot of people who are on four to one KD say this is not good enough. I'm getting nuts. Nuts are not four to one. Nuts are you know thirty percent protein or so. Mm-hmm. That's that's not four to one. And there's there's a, there's a, there's a dearth of products that are that are, that really follow the the original diet and so and that's where i think you know me you know kuma comes in your bar comes in um and you need to really engineer it yeah really be careful you know? it, it's there's there's so much you know this comes along with it being so popular right now but there's so many companies that are advertising keto-based products that you know the general public they're just going to see a keto on the label and assume that's good enough but you know as you and i can tell it's, yeah it's you gotta crunch enough. the numbers and gotta crunch the numbers yeah that that can be you know there's there's keto products out there now that people are eating thinking they're doing themselves a favor and they're not even getting in ketosis with it for sure very interesting we're on the cutting edge though which is exciting yeah well adam where can uh where can people go to find out more about you and and all the the waves you're making um well kumashake.com uh if they want to find out more about me um and my uh uh, I think I'm Kapelner.com, K-P-E-L-N-E-R. Perfect. Um, you can Google my article. It's called Starvation of Cancer via Induced Ketogenesis and Severe Hypoglycemia. They will. Uh, you, can, you can read it online for free. Um, I'll link to yeah. all those uh, in the show notes here as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, Adam, it has been an absolute pleasure, man. I've learned a ton. Hopefully everybody stayed with us there. We went to the weeds, but I liked it. We went in the weeds, man, but you know what? We emerged smarter. That's right. That's right. You better More every powerful. day. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Thanks until, so much, Rob. I really appreciate this. Absolutely, man. And that's that's the coolest thing about these podcasts. Like you're you're able to just branch out and meet and you know learn something new every single day, and then spread that over a large platform. I mean, it's it's the greatest thing ever. Rock on. Well, Adam. Until next time, man. I certainly appreciate your time, good sir. Absolutely. Thanks, take, Rob. Take, take care. care.